Isaiah 48. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say my idol did them. My carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago, before today you have never heard of them, lest you should say, behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Listen to me, O Jacob and Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My hand laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. Assemble, all of you, and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall perform his purpose on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken and called him. I have brought him, and he will prosper in his way. Draw near to me. Hear this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it came to be, I have been there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Go out from Babylon. Free from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He made water flow for them from the rock. He split the rock and water gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Let Bartlett be Bartlett. Fans of TV's The West Wing know what that means. President Bartlett's administration wasn't getting anything done. Their approval ratings were falling, and the media narrative was that they were too timid to try anything bold. But Leo... The president's venerable chief of staff had an idea. Stop being so afraid. Stop holding back. Do the things that matter. Let Bartlett be Bartlett. 
We love that kind of storyline in our entertainment, don't we? Why then are we so afraid of what would happen if we lived that way with our own lives? Following God without regards for the circumstances or the consequences seems good on paper. But when it comes to our lives, something holds us back. This morning, I'd like for you to consider, what if it didn't? What if we decided in our lives to let God be God? Now, clearly, that's imprecise language. God does not need our permission to be himself. He will be God with or without our cooperation. But what I mean is how different our lives could be if everything we did sprung from the firm conviction that God is God. And if we did everything that that conviction prompts us to do. The prophet begins, hear this, O house of Jacob. You see, the people aren't listening, or at least they're not believing what they hear. What God has been telling them for chapters leaves no room for doubt. Sermon after sermon from Isaiah, he is God and there is no other. The former things I declared, they went out of my mouth. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. If they had listened and believed, it would allow them to live in confident reliance on God's promises. They could have an entirely different experience of life if they listened. And believed. Yes, he will discipline them for their unbelief, but he will save them. Yes, he will bring the Babylonians to take them into exile, and he will raise up Cyrus, who will release them back to Judah with encouragement and the resources to rebuild Jerusalem's temple. What more can he say than to him he hath said? He's proved his power. He's proved his goodness. He's given them his promises. Listening to what God says should have an effect. In this case, wrote one of the reformers, the effect that they would calmly wait for deliverance. The effect that they would not be afraid of the greatness and power of their enemies and the effect that relying on these promises, they would stand unmoved against all temptations. Life could be different. It could be different because these words aren't just words on a page. In these words, God is speaking. In some of the recent passages, on the surface, God has been speaking to Babylon or to Cyrus. But you know that he's always also speaking to his people, to us. These things that are written are written that we might believe them and have life in his name. And Judah isn't listening. And so ten times in this chapter, Isaiah uses the Hebrew verb for hear. Hear this. Listen to me. Assemble all you and listen. God is speaking. 
Paul told the Romans that faith comes by hearing. A more recent author put it this way, the heart of faith is listening to God. Psalm 95, it's a psalm of praise. And within those words of praise, it also says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. In the midst of this call to praise is a call to listen. God's people then were supposed to remember God's people before and how they did not listen and did not respond in faith to the voice of God. And here in Isaiah, God's people in exile are supposed to listen and to respond in faith and to consider the example that they're setting for the believers who will come after them. When God delivers the future generation, that they should listen to God and return in confidence to rebuild Jerusalem. And they, both generations, serving as examples to us, God speaking to his people, will they listen and follow? Sadly, what we often have is the negative example. Many in Judah weren't letting God be God. Despite the prophets pleading, they weren't listening to God's word, weren't confident in his promises, and weren't drawing near to him in faith. Taken into captivity in Babylon, though God knew it was coming and told them it was coming, they were surprised and horrified and struggled to trust God in their adversity. And then when Cyrus comes and releases them back to Judah, many of the Israelites didn't want to go back. One historian describes that one would think the Jews would have been eager to leave their prison and return to their land to see God do new and great things for them. But they had grown accustomed to the security of bondage and had forgotten the challenges of freedom. He goes on to draw an interesting parallel to the church on that point. That the church today can easily grow complacent with its comfort and affluence. God may have to put us into the furnace to remind us that we are here to be servants and not consumers or spectators. God's people are to listen and to draw near to him in faith. That putting us into the furnace, that's exactly what we're afraid of, isn't it? In exile, that's what had shaken Judah's faith. God was up front telling them in advance he was going to discipline them and that the chastisement would hurt. But he also told them that it was purposeful. He was refining away the dross and the impurities that surrounded their faith. It would be painful. But if they would listen and respond in faith, it would save them. What makes it hard is that we're sometimes not okay with what God is doing or how he's doing it. It's too painful. It's too uncomfortable. And I know what you're thinking. I'm not asking for ease, just easier than this. But that's the point. To believe we know best what we need 
is to have stopped listening to God. It's to think that we're already just fine when God says there's more to do. Behold, I have refined you. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. They called themselves Israelites. This is Isaiah's accusation. They wear that label, Israelites, but they lived with so little faith in the God of Israel. Are we who call ourselves Christians living lives worthy of the name that we bear? When I was a grad student, I read an interesting paper on the idea that in addition to our careless cursing, the third commandment is also violated when our testimony doesn't match our profession. When we take the name of God on ourselves as Christians, but we do not follow Christ. We take the name of God in vain by having a form of godliness in name, but deny its power in our lives. God's told Israel all of this before, but they're stubbornly refusing to listen. Kids, look at how God describes his people in verse 4. You are obstinate, he says. Your neck is an iron sinew and your forehead brass. You've heard of someone being hard-headed? Here God is saying it's like their heads are made out of metal. A sinew is a tendon, connects the muscle to the bone. And God is saying it's as if the muscles in their necks are like iron rods. They refuse to turn to listen to God's voice or to go another direction. God says he's ready to do new and important things in their lives. Yes, it will bring them into trouble and it will bring them into blessing and all of it for his purposes. But they don't want to listen. They stubbornly resist and want to go their own way, afraid of what will happen if they give up control. They don't want to let God be God. And these are God's people. What do we do with that tension? How we understand that and what we take away from it depends on our perspective. The unbelieving world looks at sinful Christians, you and I, and concludes that Christianity is not true. We've all heard the objection, one author explains, Christianity can't be true. Look at the people in the church. But Isaiah 48 goes deeper. Seeing our weak faith, Isaiah 48 explains how God thinks about it. God, seeing the weakness of our faith, thinks Christianity must be true. You see, the two lines of reasoning are grounded in different premises. The skeptical objection is grounded in works righteousness. God could not accept sinners like this. But the logic of God is premised in grace. Christianity must be true because only God would save sinners. In Exodus 33, Moses asks God, Please show me your glory. I think it's very instructive what God does. God says, 
I will make all my goodness, covenant faithfulness, pass before you and will proclaim my name before you, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. When Moses asks to see God's glory, what does God show him? Not his power, his mercy, his goodness, and his grace. That's why he says in verse 11, my glory I will not give to another, because there is no other. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? So, why won't we let God be God? Our idolatry hasn't done us any good. Our self-reliance hasn't done us any good. We've taken our lives into our own hands and we've made an utter mess of it. But he who knows the end from the beginning has made promises to us to save us in spite of us. Will we believe them? The only one who knows how to save us has ordained our steps, every circumstance we have. Will we draw near to him and walk faithfully in all those circumstances? That's the challenge Isaiah puts before us when he calls us to hear God's word and respond. It's why the second half of the chapter is filled with assurances intended to strengthen our spines and comfort our spirits as we draw near to God in faith. It's not easy, but will we let God be God? Step one is to receive this word as God's word. Hear this, O house of Jacob. The former things I have declared of old, you have heard from this time forth, I announce to you new things, hidden things you have not known. Just look down the page of your Bible in this chapter. God is speaking. Assemble all of you and listen. Like the tin man, we need some oil for our stiff necks. All kinds of new or recycled ideas in the culture will turn our heads. We're eager to hear the newest in financial or wellness or political information. Our ears are always perked up to what our friends are doing or the latest trends. But when God speaks, suddenly we have stiff necks and hard heads. We need the spirit to move in us. We need ears to hear and eyes to see because God is speaking. Hear this, O house of Jacob. Ask yourself about the role that God's word is playing in your life. Even this morning, are you you putting yourself underneath the word every week in worship? That's why I stand up here. That's the point of a platform for a pulpit is that The word is coming down to you and you're putting yourself underneath it. Not my word, but God's. The the architecture is supposed to support what is spiritually happening. That you're not just 
physically present, but that you're submitting yourself to a word that can change you. Is the word a part of your daily and weekly routine and devotion and study? Are you willing to have your loves reordered by it? To be convicted where it's necessary. To lay down your list of good works and receive his grace. To let God be God also means to draw near to him in all circumstances. Verse 16, draw near to me, hear this. And at the end, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Judah was near to God in name, but far from God in spirit. They weren't happy with their circumstances. And indeed, their circumstances were hard. But rather than look at the present hardship, God called them to walk with him in faith toward a glorious future. Also, look carefully at verse 16 and consider, who is speaking? Who's the speaker here suddenly in Isaiah? Now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. The speaker is Christ, the servant of Isaiah that Isaiah mentioned before and will soon turn to with his full attention. Christ is calling his people to draw near to him and to walk with him in faith. When things are hard, very hard, exile hard, look beyond Babylon, look beyond even Cyrus, look to Christ. He's the one working in all these circumstances, and he is working in even them for our good. Another pastor asked his congregation to consider carefully, what is God saying? You see, there comes the moment when every one of us must decide. Will we settle down in the Babylon of this world or venture out into redemption in Christ? Will we let God be God even when it makes our circumstances impossibly hard. Well, know this. If you are in Christ, he offers many assurances in this morning's passage that whatever God is doing in your life right now, it's not an experiment that he might abandon if he gets fed up with you. You need to know that God would have to stop being God before he'd quit on you. Wherever and however he leads, God is saving his people. And that's why verse 18 laments what happens if we don't listen and draw near. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Verse 22, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. You see, if we insist on our own way, if, if fear paralyzes us, if we do not listen, God will still be God. We'll just have no peace. 
To reject God altogether is to live without peace for all eternity. That's the sad but just result of a life that rejects his grace. But Isaiah is talking here to God's people. And how some of us will choose more trials than we have to. And will choose less peace within those trials. More trials because we did not listen to God's word. We did not pay attention to his commandments. And less peace because in those trials we did not choose to draw nearer to him in faith. Brothers and sisters, if you will hear God's word this morning, you can choose something else. The good news is that God will be God. He will save his people. His purposes aren't frustrated by our acts of weak faith. Is your faith weak at times, especially in trials? That's just the kind of person God is committed to save. I believe. Help my unbelief. We are the people in whom he is glorified, sinners in need of a savior. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I'm reading now, God's commitment to God is his assurance to us. God's commitment to God is his assurance to us. He will be God. And if that assurance does not melt your heart. That assurance does not belong to you. But if that assurance ignites within you a flame of hope, then he has set you apart to himself forever. Listen to him. Draw near to him. Let God be God.